I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash spoken today. You're listening to Text Message, the UK-focused technology podcast with me, Nate Langson. His brother, Andrew Hoyle, and I'm joining the show's host, Nate Langson. Hi, Andy. Thanks for being had on the show by me today. I'm very welcome. And if you're listening to this, you're neither me nor my brother, but you might be one of our patrons. And if so, this is your extended ad-free version of this week's episode. Thank you to our new or upgraded patrons, Danielle Zudik. Oh, dear me. I can't pronounce that surname. That's that's very bad of me, but I think you know who you are. Um, Charlotte Stigall and Andy Harries, who are all oaks in a forest of champions as far as I'm concerned, and they are the fine individuals supporting us directly and getting access to our new sister show, Extra Message, our live streams, and hello to our live chat room as we record this, plus our unedited, uncensored versions and much more. A whole lot more. Patreon.com forward slash UK Tech is where to go to join them. Thank you, patrons. And welcome, Andy. I mean, thanks for doing my intro for me. It's very welcome. It was um, it was a lot of fun. Yes, I've thought for a while that I wonder if I introed your podcast, whether anyone would notice, given the significant similarities in our voice. Yeah. Um, well, we'll you know we'll we'll see, won't we? We will we'll see. see the feedback. Would you like Andy to do all of our intros? Maybe you'd like him to take over the show. It wouldn't be the first time. Uh, but instead, we are going to jump into some news. And that is that the UK's first 5G network went live this week, thanks to EE. We covered the rollout in huge detail last week, as well as how it compares initially to what we expect from Vodafone to come in July. Now, we weren't going to talk about this again this week, but then something quite funny happened, and so I changed my mind. And that's because the BBC decided to use a 5G connection in a live demonstration of the technology, broadcasting from Covent Garden here in London, and the possibilities, or they were broadcasting about the possibilities created by the technology. But the host, during the report, had to cut the report short after the connection failed. Should we have a listen, Andy? Yeah. This is this is what happened just around the moment that it keeled over. It's still only available in a few places at the moment, <laughs> okay. but it's going to okay. be... OK, Sarah, I'm going to have to interrupt you there because, bizarrely, the 5G line isn't working properly. So uh, apologies to our viewers for that. Oh, dear. Uh, Andy, that was a shame, wasn't it? Uh, it was, and it's one of those things that it's quite easy to kind of sit back and, and laugh a little bit and think, well, surely someone had really considered all the different elements that have to come together to do that sort of thing. Yeah. Well, this in itself wouldn't really be that newsworthy unless you wanted to poke fun at a nascent product or EE, uh, in my opinion, But and I don't. But what I do think is worth noting is why the technology failed. According to the BBC's own story, it's because the BBC had exceeded the data allowance on the first day the technology was commercially available. Uh, this goes right back to our conversation that Ian and I had last week about the, the wild pricing for 5G, where EE's lowest price for a 5G Samsung Galaxy S10 is £69 a month, plus £150 for the phone, which gets you 10 gigabytes of data. Uh, the BBC was using 5G for something exactly like it was designed for, broadcasting high-quality video live, where bandwidth and latency between two people speaking in separate places was essential. And on the first day... 
the allowance was maxed out, which I can only assume wasn't even the lowest amount available. And if it was, then there's as much blame on uh, on the BBC's producers as not. But either way, I think it's about the nature of like rolling out 5G as a new thing like this. It's always going to be um, very expensive, but I just don't think it should be this expensive when when they're they're going. The whole point is that you can use huge amounts of data, do a lot more with your connections. That is the rhetoric that all of the companies are really leading with. It's about you can do more, you can game, you can stream, you can uh, broadcast all this stuff from uh, from the streets around you. But again, they're, they're really kind of throttling the amount of data that you can get. You know, they should for this sort of thing, they need to be starting with 100 gig packages and then going up from there. And it's not. It's the lowest is, at least in my research area, was 10 gigabytes. 10, and okay. it goes up to 100 and more, whatever. But, but, the, but this is the thing, you know, the the price itself isn't what I have an issue with with this. It's the the price with the amount of data you get yeah. based on the fact that right now the only real benefit to 5G is how fast you can download large files. But yeah. if you actually do any of that, you're going to max out the data, yeah. as the BBC um, demonstrated. This is exactly the same conversation we had around 4G's launch. It was exactly the same thing. The prices were sky high for this service and 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 it was, you know, in the first sort of few months, all the articles that were written, including ones that I'd done myself, were all this is insanely expensive. This is, you know, this is not worth investing your money in uh, just yet. And those prices do come down. Month by month, new plans were added, which made it a lot more affordable for people. And new data packages, or they start rolling in things like uh, bundled Spotify and things like that to help sweeten the deal, um, which made a lot of sense. So overall, that wasn't quite such a stinging amount of money. The same thing will happen here. But again, this is hugely expensive to have rolled out and tested 5G. They need to start making that money back. So obviously, this is going to be pitched in as a very premium service. Yeah, completely. I mean, and hats off to EE for launching what is actually the, one of the world's first 5G networks. It is impressive. And we're not going to poke fun um, here because you, you've got to start somewhere. Uh, but Matt, I just think those, you know, those allowances need, rev- need reviewing if this is going to become more useful than 4G currently is anytime soon. Like if you can download a, 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 a an HD video from iTunes or Google or something, you know, that might be seven, eight, nine gigabytes in a, a few seconds, then brilliant. But you're going to use all of that data just doing that one test. Yeah. And the point of 5G, obviously, you can do so much more. So yeah. I think for a lot of people, are, are people are hoping that 5G is going to be their one connection. They don't really need to have a fixed broadband at home. 5G is going to be able to tackle almost everything they want. And so if you have an unlimited 5G connection, yes, at a premium, that is going to be the most useful thing you can have because you won't need to be switching between a mobile plan and a home plan. You're just going to have that one 5G plan. Yeah. That's that's where we need to get to. And I think we will. I do honestly think we will. Staying on the topic of price, Andy, Netflix. You've heard of Netflix, haven't you? I have actually heard of Netflix. Mm, okay, I thought you might have. It's announced a price hike. And don't get excited, mountain fans. It's nothing to do with walking up cliffs. It's to do with raising prices. Uh, as much as 20% for the UK in the case of Netflix this week. But... It's a price rise. Uh, price rise, I think, still represents pretty good value, according to a helpful Wired write-up. The cost of the most popular standard plan is increasing by one of the Queen's pounds to eight ninety-nine per month, and a premium plan is going to go up by two of the Queen's pounds to eleven ninety-nine. Per month, uh, the cheapest basic plan, and that I didn't realize that this was even an option, but it, it it allows streaming only in standard def, only on one device. But that remains unchanged at five of the queen's pounds and ninety nine of her royal pence, Andy. So six pounds. 
six pounds in common parlance, if you wish to speak like a commoner. Yeah, I do. It's easier that way. Yeah. And this this follows a similar price increase uh, that we've seen in the US and elsewhere. But what do you think, Andy? And just before you answer, I'm going to answer my own question uh, first, which is I'm a a subscriber to the premium plan, which includes HD and 4K, Ultra HD, lets me stream up to four things simultaneously on different screens. 12 quid seems very fair for what I get access to, I think, particularly compared to having Sky or Virgin TV, which I don't have Particularly of. when you've got multiple people using it, right? I believe your wife uses it, she and does. maybe even mum, I think, has access to your Netflix account. Our mother, I believe, does. Yeah. Um, so that's that, I think, is where th- these prices become a lot more manageable because for a lot of people, and I know various people who housemates uh, in a house will share one subscription and it's just signed in on you know, the Xbox or the Roku or Apple TV or whatever. And that, and they all just chip in for it. And then it becomes only like a few quid each, but they're getting those benefits. As an individual, I know I don't necessarily think this is a huge price hike. What does bug me slightly is that the standard plan goes up by one pound, but the premium plan has gone up by two, but it isn't double the price. So that £2 is uh, relatively a bigger price hike, whereas they could have just put a pound on all of them and just had done with it. The other thing is that Netflix has got more competition these days than it, than it ever has done before, and there's more coming around the corner. Obviously, we've got Apple service, Disney's launching its own service. Um, there's, there's more sharks in the pool. And do you think that at, even at £12 that Netflix has still got a competitive edge? Yes, because it's really about the content and... The, you know, the draw is always going to be that catalogue. You know, there's been a lot of reports that, you know, if, if Netflix lost Friends or something like that or The Office, people would cancel because that's basically all they, they use it for. Um, and I think that's that's fair. But but now we're seeing content being removed from Netflix, like by from Disney, for example, because it wants to use that as a draw for its own so service. It's, own service of course. it's getting more and more fragmented. And when you were talking about the sharing of the plans, what I've se- what I've heard a lot of people do now is they have kind of like um like a syndicate between friends. And so one friend will have a Netflix account, one will have an Amazon Prime account, yep. one will have a Now TV account or something. Thing, and they'll share logins or user IDs for each yeah. so that everyone gets access to all of them, but they only individually need to subscribe to one. Absolutely. I've got various friends that do exactly that. In fact, I do that um, uh, with my girlfriend at home. One of us has Netflix, one of us has Amazon Prime, and I think we both chip in for the Now TV passes and stuff, But um, mm. it, which is the sensible way to do it because I think typically a lot of people will be living with other people, whether that's partners or housemates um, or other family members. So it does make sense to split that cost. I'm um, interested to know how many people are in a household and and have multiple people with individual uh, Netflix subscriptions, because that doesn't really seem like an economical way of using the service. And the service allows it. This isn't like some illegal loophole where you're, you know, you've cracked it and you've used like a back-end way of, of sharing um, login. You know, Netflix perfectly allows this as part of the plan. Um, and as a result, it becomes a lot cheaper for each person. So... Yeah, and Dawson in the live chat says that um, that he does that with Netflix and Spotify. Yeah. And uh, Charlotte, uh, also in, in the live chat, says that uh, she shares hers with her grandma because her grand loves the crown. Oh, lovely. Spotify, though, 
surely I believe with Spotify you can only play it on one device at a time. So if someone else is logged in and they start playing music, yep. it will stop playing your music. I believe that's correct. So I don't, I, I wouldn't want to do that with Spotify, but that isn't the case with Netflix because of that uh, multi-user option. And Apple Music does the same. You can have multiple devices logged in, and you can pay more to get a family plan. But the base plan that right now I think is nine ninety nine a month. Mm. I pay. Um, you couldn't stream it while I was streaming it. And so when you consider that Netflix, this is going up to £12, but you can do all that, yeah. that feels that feels good. Particularly, I mean, I've only ever done this maybe once, possibly twice ever, is watching a film with somebody at the same time. So you press play at the same time, but you're in different regions. So, yeah. but you have And you have Skype or FaceTime on or something. So you're sort of watching the film together. Yeah. But you can do that with only one of you having the account because you can both sign in. Absolutely. And families with, with young children as well, it's great that, um, you know, the adults can maybe be watching a film and there's a whole section of, of, a, of a really deep section of, of children's content um, on Netflix and the kids can be watching that at the same time it's not interrupting anything else because you've got those plans and obviously no your kids probably aren't contributing because most kids are freeloaders but at least you're not having to fork out additional plans for the children as well like it's all part of that one price children are expensive enough yeah exactly I mean I bought one the other day for like £5,000 I was like that is a rip off it wasn't even a good child Rubbish. The other thing I <laughs> thought we could mention, Andy, is um, the transition from ownership to subscription. And I wanted to get your view on this um, because I still find that I buy a decent bit of content on iTunes. Mm-hmm. For example, I recently bought New Girl because they did a series pack. I bought the complete seasons of... How I Met Your Mother, because I've never, I'd never watched it. Nor have I. I bought a bunch of them because all packed up in a in a box, all in HD, um, on demand wherever I want, downloadable offline. And for me, the main reason, never going to get removed because of some irritating contractual issue, or at least certainly not without a considerable refund potential, um, which you wouldn't get from Netflix necessarily. No, but. So I'm on the other side. I I do not buy almost anything. All of my media, music, TV shows, films, uh, is entirely streamed. I have very little of my own stuff. You know, I even um, only the day before yesterday packed up a big plastic storage crate of old DVDs and stored them in the shed just because why am I wasting space inside my flat? Um, So... Yeah, I think that is a much better model. But what's been really important is being able to use download options on Netflix and Amazon Prime. Um, but they expire. If they you don't do expire, them. yeah. But if you want to download them specifically for things like a train journey, when obviously all train Wi-Fi is horrendous, mm-hmm. so you want to make sure you've got something to watch on that on that on that train journey or on that flight. I think you get thirty days to use them. So because when I did a, a big road trip around around Europe and I knew that my connection was going to be um, spotty. Um, I downloaded whole seasons of um, uh, things like Gilmore Girls so that we can just sit in the van and, and watch them, and it was great. And on which service did you say? Netflix. Because Netflix, I, I believe you can only download them a certain number of times or within a certain period. Because I remember, I think I downloaded The Fresh Prince of Bel-Air mm. when that landed because it had, it had arrived the week Kate and I, just after we got married, we went and had a week away in... Hereford, uh, which I know sounds really weird that I bulk downloaded stuff in order to not talk to my new wife. But um, it's a fresh prince, so everyone will understand. But it's the fresh prince, yeah. and yes, she was a fresh wife. But we can enjoy that together. <laughs> um, and and I got to make the great joke. Oh, Will Smith! 
Oh, will he? Yeah. Or, he will Smith. If you pay him enough money, or he how will do you, craft how, you an axe. How do you track Will Smith in the snow? Check for the fresh prints. Very good. It's all right. Very good. What was my point? I have no idea, but I was going to carry on making my point. In that, no, I don't know exactly on some of the rules on downloading. But for me, I was able to get an entire series of Gilmore Girls and then I think a few of something else. I think I even downloaded some Bake Off because that's on um, uh, on Netflix as well. And so we had plenty of stuff to be watching when we were just having some downtime after a hike and wanted to chill out. Um, and it it stayed in there until we'd watched it. Once you've watched it, it gets rid of it. You can't keep it in there just forever and i like re-watching things well yeah but then you can just download them again you know this is only for those times when you know that you're not going to have that connection and again I... as things like you know 5g um is gonna hopefully help um have more stable connections in uh more rural areas as well um then i think it's going to be gradually less and less important to have downloaded local files when everything can just be in the cloud i mean you know the proliferation of cloud storage. You know, the, the Google Pixel is sold on the back of, well, you don't need as much phone storage because here is unlimited cloud storage, knowing that for the most part, 95% of the time, people have got permanent access to cloud storage. And whether that's storage for your files or where you are streaming your media from, it's not a problem to just stream anymore. And yeah, you know, you talk about ownership and stuff, but is that something that you necessarily need to own? It's not like you're making money. It's not, you know, buying a house versus renting a house you're not making money on that house you're not making money on having that content locally in fact if anything it's costing you money because you need to have bigger storage drives or faster storage drives etc so Mm. i don't really feel that there's much benefit anymore in having those local files yeah i can't say you've convinced me at all i think i'm gonna just do what i want to do um i expect nothing less from you nate yeah well, let us know uh, out there in listener land. Do you ride into entertainment town on the back of a buy-to-own horse or do you prefer the rental donkey uh, that is Netflix? <laughs> <laughs> I really don't know where I was going with that. It's Friday, everyone. We've, we've run long. Engadget wrote this week that after running limited tests in the US and elsewhere, Google Maps is rolling out speed limit warnings, Andy, on both fixed and mobile radar locations in the UK. The features are borrowed from Google-owned Waze, Engadget said, and will appear in the iOS and Android maps. Now, the speed limit signs are located, Andy, in the bottom corner of maps, and the radar and photo radar traps appear as icons on the virtual roads. Mm. Now, I don't drive, so I don't care. However, you drive. Do you also care? I very much do care, yes. Um, I do a lot of driving. I, um, In fact, this year alone, I've done best part 10,000 miles across the continent. Show off. I know, right? Um, and I would love. I use Google Maps for the most part, either um, directly on my phone in a in a holder, or often um, using um, Apple CarPlay or Android Android Auto, whatever it's called. Um, and I w- would love to have um, speed limit warnings on there. Some of the cars I borrow, the more modern ones, have got speed um, limit sign uh, recognition, and so it will always flash that up on like the car's heads-up display. Um, but having that in Google Maps is really helpful because sometimes you just don't 
notice if you've entered a new speed limit zone or you don't you're not quite aware of what things like the national speed limit zones are in other countries you know we know what it is in the uk but when you're traveling abroad that does change from some countries to other countries um but having google using satellite information and local sources and whatever it's using to give you that information just gives you that bit of extra knowledge when you're driving so not not so that you can intentionally flaunt the rules but so that you don't accidentally get stoned by thinking oh it's fine i can still do 130 kilometers an hour because that's what i was doing before actually now it's 120 and you could get pulled over and fined uh, i mean in a lot of the cars that you drive they they often have built-in gps systems yeah so how does this compare to that i mean does this make this more is this preferable? Yeah, this is this is this would be to me. As I say, a lot of the cars I've had have uh, these recognition where they have cameras that can. They will literally they will look at as a speed as a you pass a speed limit sign. It will then look at that sign, recognize the number, and then it will display that on the car's dashboard or heads-up display or whatever you've got, just to remind you what the speed is. Often it can get it a little bit wrong, um, but it's. So it's a guide, not a not something you should really strictly follow. You should always just be sensible. Um, but it is, as I say, just very important to have that information to hand because if you're driving somewhere that you're completely unfamiliar with, particularly if it's busy and you're paying more attention to where your car is positioned on the road, you know, you're trying not to crash, than you are on exact signs. Sometimes you can just pass a sign and not really notice it's there. Mm. And then all of a sudden, you might be speeding because you didn't realise that the speed limit has changed. And yeah, you may find the odd police officer who pulls you over who accepts, I'm sorry, I didn't know. But for the most part, you're just going to get slapped with a big fine. In my experience, Andy, ignorance of the law is not an excuse. No, it's not. You know, you're going to get cuffed. Yeah, and, and you know, rightly so. If you're speeding, you you shouldn't speed. So this is helping you not speed. This isn't there. I do see in your notes that you've put some things in about, um, you know, oh. catching you speed, but I, it's not about... Oh, well, maybe it is to an, to an extent, but really the point is to not catch you speeding, but to help you not speed. I like that uh, in the live chat, um, Zadadax has... Uh, posted a message saying i use handbrake now i know that he's talking about the software handbrake in response to dvd ripping from our previous yeah story. to convert but what files. i but what i like is that it came up while we were talking about slowing down in a car ah yes which which of course you can also use a handbrake to slow down yeah not when you're plowing along on the motorway though no i mean it's important because like so one of the things i always find quite um always makes me most nervous is when I'm trying to, let's just say, enjoy the German autobahns. Now, famously, the German German autobahns have no upper speed limit. They are um, unrestricted. So if you're in a car that's powerful enough, like I sometimes will borrow, mm-hmm. you can do 170, 180, 200 miles an hour plus, And that is perfectly legal. What are you in such a rush for? Just, well, okay... I the once best. did the journey in a McLaren 570 GT, and I want to see how fast that car can go because I borrowed a supercar. But you know how fast it can go. No, it's how fast I can make it go. Oh. So that's kind of the point. But Do you not have... all parts of the, of the autobahn are unrestricted, and they don't, for obvious reasons, suddenly have big flashing banners that say, hey, now you can put your foot down and see what you can do. Um, it's I... So, like... It's mm. sometimes if you could have if there was that heads up warning that you've got on your GPS system, whether it's on your phone or your car, that just lets you know what you can do and what you can't do. That is just helpful for people to drive more sensibly. Mm, I su- yeah, I mean, 
200 miles an hour in an autobahn. If I you, didn't hit 200. If you were very, I'd hope you didn't hit anyone, but if you were driving that speed and you were really hungry and you were going for some amazing German sausage, I'd say not the worst excuse, but I've heard better. You don't need an excuse. It's legal. It's perfectly legal. No, I know. Um, the other question I had about this, of course, is do we want Google knowing we're speeding and trying to sell us car insurance or to sign up to be an organ donor or something, as I was when I applied for a learner's license last month? Well, it's pretty standard. I didn't know it was standard. It really freaked me out at the time. In, in hindsight, I totally get why, and I think it's good. But yeah. at the time, it just seemed a bit like... It just it caught me off guard. Ah, well done. You applied for a license. Maybe you'd like to donate your organs. It just made it sound like I was absolutely going to crash. But but I'm glad they do because it's important. It is important. But um, the Google question, Andy. No, I don't think that I don't think that's the issue because these these systems they don't they're not tracking that information and then sending it to insurance companies and, and whoever else. Or, Aren't they? Well, who knows? I mean, Might at the moment, they? all you know, most of the cars I've, um, you know, I drive have GPS in. And let's not forget that a lot of car insurance companies will give you a reduced premium if you do have an insurance tracking system on board that you so sign that, up for. That you sign up for yeah. voluntarily. That that monitors your speed and make and and um, make sure that if particularly if you do have an accident, um, that will help make sure that they know who exactly is to blame to so that they can mediate properly in any insurance claims. Mm-hmm. Um, and so these systems do exist already. Um, I think what would be bad, you know, if Google immediately hands that data over to the police and say, we caught this guy doing 90 in a 70 zone. Um, I don't think that's good. But I also know that that's completely illegal and they can't do that um, yes. for the moment anyway. But... Um, I, uh, in terms of tracking the radars, though, and knowing where speed cameras are, I believe that is illegal on most of the continent. Oh, um, okay. Still, I may be wrong in that, and I, but I think it's like having the system in your car that can actually detect it um, is illegal. But you can't. I don't think you can turn it off. So if you're taking an English car that has that abroad, I don't think. You, you can do a lot of things. Well, um, if anyone's tried this feature, let us know. Is it useful? Is it better than what it replaces? Uh, hello at techpodcast.uk. That is our email address. And uh, let us know what your thoughts are. Well, we've got a, f- a few bits of feedback here. And one quick one from Toby. Uh, he wanted to say, may I be the 50th person to point out how much more Yorkshire Nate's accent was back in the day in those old recordings? <laughs> now, that came up. Um, because Toby would have been listening to Extra Message from a couple of weeks ago when we had a recording of Ian and I from about 2007, uh, which was shortly after I moved to London, and I sounded very... Great northern. I sounded a lot more northern. Yeah. So um, if, you have, if, you, um, if you're on our Patreon tier that, that gets Extra Message, give that a listen. Um, there are definitely worse examples, because Andy and I have recordings of us podcasting as far back as 2005, I believe. Yeah, I'd have been... 15, 16, I think. And I, you sounding, well, we both do, sound incredibly yeah, northern. Very very much so. Um, I very much doubt I'll be publishing any of those. Uh, we should. I, we so should. Maybe. Maybe for the very, 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 very determined super fans. Yeah. Um, that, that's the $1,000 an episode <laughs> tier on Patreon, isn't it? I mean, I have a funny feeling that I spent a good deal of one of those episodes talking about how I dreamt that I was a theme park. <laughs> Not that I had one or was in but, but one. But you were But I, I sort of felt like I, I was one. I know that I had a regular section where I reviewed biscuits. That sounds about right. Um, that was always a good... That was a good... We should bring that back. I think that could be... 
That that sounds like a text message Patreon extra. I am inclined to believe that's not why people are listening. But uh, anyway, uh, that was there. We also had a, a, an email from Philip. Now, this came in a little while ago. Partly um, we're late reading it out because I thought we'd read it already. Turns out we haven't. Um, and I thought it was a really interesting take on the rise of VPNs. And this is something we were talking about uh, quite a few weeks ago, actually, when we discussed the new age verification system required for for uh, pornography that's been going on and on and on through government. Um, and Philip had some really interesting insight. He says, quick comment about this. While I agree with you that the rise of VPNs and the like is unlikely to stop kids from accessing naughty websites, the issue that you guys had surrounding sending images of ID documents online is not a new one, and I'm surprised more people are not taking, uh, talking about what I consider the most obvious parallel that already exists. Gambling websites have long been subject to similar rules, requiring the submission of photo IDs and identification and age verification. A friend of mine used to work for a well-known poker website and spent her day reviewing endless lists of passports and photo IDs from all over Europe. Currently, this is mostly handled by the individual companies rather than a centralised database, as is being proposed for the porn IDs. While most people would agree on proper age verification for these websites, especially where real money is involved, hopefully the porn IDs will be subject to greater security than the gambling ones, judging from some of my friend's stories about photos of passports being stored in desktop folders and permanently linked to accounts. Although there's probably less potential cause for embarrassment or blackmail if you're exposed as an online poker player rather than someone with a specific porn preference, leaked IDs are still pretty serious. The gambling ID rules are also being tightened next month as well as expanding them to cover free uh, to play gambling games, but the potential mission creep from that into other non-gambling based freemium games is another issue entirely. Thank you, Philip. We, we, we have such smart listeners. Yeah. I, you know, if if you guys hosted this show, it'd probably be a lot. Well, it seemed to be more sensible. Almost certainly, but but that wouldn't be the same show, would that's it? That's not why we're listening. It's not. Um, it's interesting that yeah, there's there's these systems in place, and and the gambling um, uh, analogy there is 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 particularly apt. Um, or they could go entirely other way. And what I always find really really daft, anytime you go on the website for a drinks brand, yeah, and uh, in the in the opening page, all you have to do it says you know, are you over eighteen? And you just have to put in literally any date you want. There's no check. You just put in. 14th of March 1912 and in you go there's, there's no check I'm like well what's the point in having it at all if you can literally just put whatever you want what's the point well that's part of the problem that's part of the reason why this law is being proposed because that isn't sufficient mm. um, but so let's not beat around that old bush again um, instead let's beat around the bush of things Tom Merritt has been talking about on Daily Tech News Show this week because here he is to summarise the most important issues that you can check out on the show from the last week of episodes. This week on Daily Tech News Show, Robert Heron gave us the scoop on new tech coming to televisions like dual cell LCD as a less expensive alternative to OLED. We talked about the new laptop form factors like second screens coming out of the Computex conference in Taiwan, discussed who might want a $499 pair of augmented reality glasses that plug into your phone by USB-C, and Chris Mancini from Comedy Film Nerds gave us a feat on the ground report on the tech they're using at the new Star Wars Galaxy Edge section of Disneyland. All that and much more at dailytechnewsshow.com. Thank you, Tom. Um, also, if you are one of our patrons getting Extra Message, our sister show, we have probably the most tangential episode we've ever published because it's all about the importance of breathing. There is a tech connection to it, and I will leave it to you to discover what that is. But we've had some very encouraging feedback about it. It was an episode I was a little bit on the fence about uh, publishing in the first place but uh, it's been really great so thank you to everyone and obviously more ideas for extra message episodes are welcome 
Thank you to Andy from CNET for joining us. It's been great to be had. It must have been great to have had me on the show. It, it must have been a treat for both you and all the listeners. Yeah, it, yeah. I, I can only imagine it was. Is there anything you've been doing on CNET that you'd like to plug? Oh, tons. Great. Well, you can follow us at Text Message Pod on Twitter, and you can also follow Andy on Twitter. With at Battery HQ. Toodle pip. Hi, this is Paige from Giggly Squad, and I want to talk to you about Splash Refresher and my water intake. Okay, so you guys obviously know that I'm a hydrated girly, but sometimes when you drink that much water, it starts to just taste bland and you're just like, I need something to spice it up. That's why I love Splash Refresher. It has zero sugar, zero calories, and it's a splash of sweetness. And they come in five different flavors. They're so good. Wild berry, acai grape, pineapple mango, lemon, and mandarin orange. My favorite is the wild berry because I just, I just love a berry. So if you're like me and you're drinking water all day, then try Splash Refresher. It's going to absolutely change your water game and it's good for you. 